0: The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform about health matters affecting adults from latest research updates to tips on navigating the healthcare system and everything in between i'm kirsten and i'm lindsey well we wanted to take a minute today to talk about the coronavirus i'm assuming everybody all of our listeners have heard about it since it's all over the media and have a basic understanding of what this virus and what this pandemic is
1: Right. I think we're probably all inundated with some information. We just wanted to give a little, um, a little information from our perspective, I guess, being in the medical field, some of our thoughts and tips.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, most people recognize that this is a very serious illness, um, you know, once in a while, I've seen on social media where people are still questioning whether it's a real thing or whether we're overreacting. And I just want to say, if you're not seeing a lot of it in your region, then consider yourself very fortunate. Um, it's still fairly early in the U.S., and I think that we'll continue to see the number of cases rising over the next one to two to three weeks, and maybe even longer.
1: Yeah, I think it um, kind of took us all by storm. Even the we were all hoping it wasn't as as bad as it as it is turning out to be and I think it is serious and we just need to listen to recommendations and, and I know we've heard a lot about flattening the curve and I think we just wanted to take a minute to talk about what that means and why it's important. Yeah, so let's start with what that curve
0: is and I'm guessing many of you have seen pictures of that too. The curve is kind of the rate at which new cases are coming in and for from our perspective, it's new cases coming into healthcare. So if everybody gets sick very rapidly and everybody presents to healthcare very rapidly, the system will be overwhelmed. And won't be able to handle the new cases coming in.
1: And this is kind of what we've seen happen in Italy and some of the other European um, and Asian countries, um, where this has hit first. And so we can, we're lucky that that we have some examples to go by and and see that um, we can very quickly um, we can quickly have it where the supply of the medical community of the um, doctors, nurses, and equipment doesn't meet the demands of all the patients, that all the people that are sick at the same time.
0: Right. And part of that is because not only do we have this new virus circulating, we have the usual health issues occurring as well. And so there are still people who need, um, you know, appendix removal, or they need uh, treatment of heart failure or pneumonia. And so those things continue. And if we have huge numbers of sick people with a new virus on top of that, the system can just not, won't be able to handle
1: it. So the whole idea of flattening the curve is to have the um, new illness go through the community at a slower rate so that we can deal with the sick people as they come in. And so the only way to do that is by doing the social distancing.
0: Right. And so many... Um, cities, especially in harder hit areas have been kind of on ordered lockdown. And in regions where places haven't been hit quite so hard yet, they just have, you know, recommendations and advising to work from home and to social distance. Um, And I think it's just important to emphasize how crucial that is. That is
1: a life-saving action that everyone can be taking right now. And I think it's so important. I think, I mean, it means no play dates. It means um, really, even from family, you know, limiting to their immediate family who's in the home with you.
0: Right. Kind of the usual things that we do, you know, obviously we're not sports and other extracurricular activities have been canceled for now. Um, but even things like going to church or, like you said, play dates, even, even small family gatherings with other families are not advised right now because if one person has been exposed to the illness, then they can spread it with everybody else spread it to everybody else? I think,
1: you know, it, we're lucky because um, children aren't showing very many symptoms or or getting severe illness from this uh, coronavirus, uh, which is a very good thing, but it's also, they can be infected and they can be asymptomatic spreaders of the disease. And so it's important even, you know, if, if you're, not having symptoms that you still uh, are distancing yourself from others.
0: Yeah. And I would add to things like meetings at work. You know, I I know many people are working from home right now, and I think that's a great thing. If you are still having meetings, um, they should be really from your office, from your desk on the computer, because Getting a group of people together in a room just isn't a good idea right now. Again, if one person has been exposed to the illness, they can then... spread it to everybody else gathered there who will then take it home to their families and so um, any kind of gathering should really be limited or if you're going to meet you know maybe a group of three people in a very large room where you're spread apart would be fine but um, otherwise those things need to be limited
1: and obviously staying home uh, if you are having symptoms the hand washing like we've all been talking about wiping down surfaces it looks like right now um you know, it's probably can linger in the air for about three hours. And so you, you know, what we're doing with a room where a patient might have, a person might have come and been in is you have to close down that room for at least three hours, um, and then clean it down. And, um, so I think you can kind of think about those things for your, your surfaces at work or home as well.
0: Exactly. Yep. Another tip or trick I would recommend is to take advantage of online ordering services. Um, So for grocery shopping, you know, I know some stores are having early morning hours for seniors, and that's okay. But um, sometimes still, the stores have looked pretty busy as I've driven by. And so obviously, we all need to eat, we all need, um, you know, our supplies. But a lot of places do have ordering where you can order ahead online, and then just drive up and pick up your food without even going in the store. Um or you can do things like Instacart, where somebody will pick up the groceries and deliver them to your doorstep for you. So it prevents you from having to go out and be exposed to other people in addition to exposing people.
1: I guess another thing I'd say is if you know, what to do if you do start to have symptoms. Yep. And I think, um, you know, we've probably heard what this and are familiar now, cough, fever, um, some body aches, shortness Those are kind of of the main, shortness of breath are the main things. Mm-hmm. And I think at, at this point, um, not showing up at any healthcare facility unannounced is the best thing. So you, you were most, um, I think healthcare systems have a one phone number to call to get directions on, on what you should do. And if you have mild illness, you should just stay home and isolate. Right. So let's talk about that for a minute, because we're, we're not testing every
0: case. As much as we would like to so that we can see what the real numbers are, the, tests, the testing itself is limited. Right. And so we won't be testing every case. So if you are having mild symptoms, like you think, oh, I have a cold, but I might have been exposed to somebody, and really that's all then you can stay at home and monitor your symptoms.
1: And I think at this point, I would say if for your fever and body aches, I would recommend Tylenol or acetaminophen and not taking ibuprofen, Aleve, Advil, any of the NSAIDs.
0: There's some studies that indicate NSAIDs might make coronavirus actually get worse rather than better so Tylenol or acetaminophen are okay for pain and fever
1: Um, if you are getting more in out of in distress or shortness of breath and you're worried that you're not breathing well then at that time Um, I think you would call ahead and go to a designated um, emergency department that is is prepared for you.
0: Yes. And again, if you're feeling, if you're in distress, if you're starting to get short of breath, don't wait around for things to get worse. Then it is time to just call and tell them I'm on my way. Um, And again, we want healthcare systems need to be alerted so that they can be prepared and put you in an isolation room that will keep everybody else safe too. But um, don't sit around on those symptoms.
1: I think still the majority of people are getting very mild illness, and you can wait it out at home. And but there certainly is the potential for for worsening, and then you just need to need to act on that and be prepared. So Lindsay, if people do end up going in, um,
0: and they're having more serious symptoms. What does treatment look like? I know, obviously, you know, we're doing supportive treatment. We're putting people on ventilators if needed. I've had some questions about are there medications that will help with this virus or help slow it down?
1: We have found some um, in varying reports. There's several different medications um, that are shown to be helpful. So I think... um, we keep learning new things every day, and people are trying new variations on those medications. But I think, you know, there's hope out there. And we, the problem is, um, we can't give it too soon because there's supply and demand issues, right? Most of the medications were not in a lot of demand. So there's very limited supply. And so if we bump up the demand, um, we have to wait for the supply to come before we can do that so it you know it's knowing when's the best time to give these medications and and so we can't just give them to everybody um to prevent se- severe illness we have to reserve them for the people to to get them out of their severe illness so there are things out there and we'll probably continue to to expand on that and grow as as we keep learning exactly yeah so there is hope i think still though the most important
0: thing is to really try to slow the spread of the illness right now and let um, technology and let suppliers catch up and hopefully we'll have some advances come out quickly
1: that really help um, slow or stop this virus. right. so I, I don't know I think that covers kind of the short version and We maybe wanted to talk about some other health things that are different than COVID, right? We might have had too much much overload.
0: We'll lighten up the rest of our show. We're actually going to do a question and answer session based on previous or questions that we've received over the last several weeks to months. And um, hopefully it'll answer some of your questions. And if you have more, please send them our way. (music) accumulated various questions from our listeners and from our audience members, and so we thought we would just dedicate an episode to answering some of those questions, and we're probably not going to get every single question that has been written in, because we want to spend a few minutes at least to do them justice, but we'll try to work our way through the list a little bit. Yeah, we got uh, some wide variety of questions so it should be fun yeah all right well let's start the first one says my colleagues and I are all curious about sparkling water with zero sugar or sweeteners versus normal water so um are they healthy are they better than regular water certainly I think we can quickly say they're better than soda right yeah you want to take that one Lindsay yeah I
1: think um definitely Without the sugar or the, or the artificial sugar, sugars in them that they are certainly a great option um, and a way to maybe curb your, your addiction, we'll call it, to sodas and help you get off uh, of the soda, which I think would be huge and great. So it's definitely a huge plus um, if you're using them to steer away from sodas or other sugary drinks. Um, I know, I think the dentists have a few things to say about it. Do you maybe know a little bit about that? Yeah, so
0: my sister's a dentist and she comments, of course, the acidity of those carbonated beverages are hard on the teeth, especially if you're drinking them all day long. So if you, um, you know, quickly drink one over a shorter interval and then are done with it, that's not so hard on the teeth. But kind of sipping those carbonated beverages all day long can wear down the, the enamel or the covering of the teeth. And so um, that's kind of the downside. There are also the non-carbonated slightly flavored
1: waters right. as well, and so those are probably better for the teeth. I think the other thing we could comment on the the carbonation is that carbonation is a bladder irritant, so even if you don't have the caffeine or other things, it could be um, contribute to overactive bladder and urgency. Yeah, and people who are prone to heartburn might notice that it
0: triggers those symptoms as well. So right. those are a few things to watch for, but certainly an improvement on drinking juice, drinking soda, drinking those other um, sweetened sports beverages. Definitely. definitely. Yep. All right, then another uh, sort of quick question, wondering about diets. So we hear a lot about keto diet, intermittent fasting, etc. What's really the best diet? And, um, you know, I would say kind of depends on what your goals are too right. but we'll talk about some studies that came out
1: and i think we probably hit some of this in in various episodes off and on but i think in a recent kind of head-to-head study uh the mediterranean diet did seem to come out on top but i think yeah it's kind of what are you looking to do maybe doing a more uh keto or paleo can help you lose that weight faster and then trans transition over to a, a more Mediterranean diet. So it kind of depends on what you're looking for. Yeah.
0: And the keto diet, the other thing with it is that most people aren't in true ketosis, which is where you're using anaerobic metabolism to um, burn calories, burn fat. Um, and because it's pretty impossible to go to a zero carb diet and our, our brain does need some carbs, most people are not in a pure ketosis on that diet. And so it's. I mean, I think for all of us, just eating fewer carbs is going to help with weight management and help keep the weight off. Or if you're trying to lose weight, lose weight. And then if you're trying really hard to do a pure keto diet, you're going to do it more quickly because you're really eliminating a lot of those carbs. But um, in terms of our people reaching true ketosis, probably not. That one is not a long-term sustainable
1: diet right. either. I think a lot. That's that's the hard part. Is what can you do forever?
0: Yeah, I think you know intermittent fasting can be something that people can do if they're doing it in moderation where they're maybe doing a 14 or 16 hour fast every every evening through their next day. But again, thinking about what you can sustain for the long term and just based on studies that we have the Mediterranean diet is the best thing.
1: We'll kind of leave that there cuz we could go on for we a while sure can, about yeah. that. How about um how to get your doctor to take your pain seriously? Is a question we got.
0: Yeah, this. I think this is a really difficult question. So I would say, you know, when somebody comes in to me with new pain, new symptoms, I'm going to look for things that would be very worrisome. And again, it depends on what area of the body they're having pain as to what those red flag symptoms would be. And then, um, if they don't have any, have any of those red flags that make me think of something more scary or worrisome, then we're probably going to start with conservative measures to begin with. So that we probably won't do a lot of imaging or a lot of other testing unless, again, there are symptoms that are making me concerned. Right. I think
1: a lot of times a watch and wait approach is the best approach when we get a new pain, depending on on this symptoms right so there are red flag symptoms for for lots of different pains for abdominal pain for back pain we've talked about in another visit so or in another podcast so I think um we are listening hopefully you feel like you're being listened to and um it's not that we're not taking it seriously if we don't do a bunch of imaging and evaluation but sometimes watch and waiting is the is the best answer
0: yeah and I would say You know, duration of pain and progression are also important in kind of deciding when to do more testing. So if something has been lasting for more than a month, for sure, you know, again, depending on what what and where the symptoms are and then the progression. So if it's getting more frequent or more severe over time rather than getting better over time, that would be concerning, too. So I think just, you know, if you go in with a pain symptom Making sure that you can kind of keep track of what's been happening with this pain over time—is it getting worse? Is it getting better? Are you having other symptoms? Weight loss is usually a worrisome symptom, right. you know, or other other findings like that that would make us think, okay, we do
1: need to dig into this a little bit more. Um, yeah. I think another thing that maybe is a a disconnect for pain and conversations with your physician would be what, what constitute a ten to most people in their minds and, and maybe On the pain scale. On the pain about, yes, on the pain scale. So the normal pain scale, we say zero to ten.
0: Everybody's kind of heard this, I think, when they come into an office visit. Zero being no pain, ten being the worst pain of one's life. Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's right. No. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think we've seen people in ten out of ten pain. And so maybe it's something that that people not in the medical field can't understand um what that might be like um to help them negotiate what their pain is on the pain scale but so to us we've seen it and what it looks like um is somebody who is in so much pain that they can't concentrate on anything that's happening around them you know they're just writhing and just trying to live through it right so they can't look at you and hold a conversation um you know, so that's what 10 out of 10 pain looks like to us. So it's hard when somebody comes and says, says, you know, they say this is 8 out of 10 pain and they're sitting there very comfortably having a a nice little chat with you. It's not that we aren't taking you seriously. It's that in our mind, we're assessing what you look like in your pain and, and that to us is maybe a little less severe than how you're perceiving it.
0: And we also look at other physiological signs of pain, and that can include uh, blood pressure and heart rate and sweating and things like that that all kind of tell us how severe is a pain. So pain doesn't have to be severe to indicate something bad either, as this person messaged in. They um, had a broken wrist and they didn't think their pain was terribly severe. So how do do we know when to take that seriously? And I I think it goes back to what's the history, what's been going on over time, when did it happen, was there an injury, things like that. But um, the pain scale is difficult and we maybe need something different that helps patients um, get us on the same page in terms of where their pain is at and how bothersome it is. Because right. um, the pain scale, we don't always see eye to eye, I think, in terms of, right. like you said,
1: our assessment
0: of the pain and someone's perception of the pain.
1: Right. Which we do need to take seriously the perception of the pain. Um, and I and I hope your physician does. But just know that kind of that's where we're coming from. We've typically physicians have seen people in the worst pain that you could imagine. And, and so we've kind of seen what it looks like on the outside, I guess.
0: I agree with that. Yep, yep. Yeah, so hopefully that um, helps answer that question. And certainly if you feel like your clinician is not taking your pain seriously, you know, again, sometimes on the first visit we tend to think, okay, let's just do supportive management. If it's not getting better, schedule another appointment because that right. will let your clinician know, okay, there is, is something, something going on here. Um, if at that point you still don't feel like you're being heard, then it might be time to seek another
1: opinion. Right.
0: All right. Well, let's see here. Um, next question:
1: <laughs> How to, okay? Yeah. <laughs> how to assess whether your doctor is a good doctor?
0: That's a great question, and I think um, what makes this even a better question is that, as a physician, I don't necessarily even know how all of my colleagues work and their you know what what their areas of expertise are in internal medicine or how likely they are to follow the research. And so I think as a patient, it's that much harder. Um, Things that I would be looking for to determine whether your doctor is a good doctor is, you know, do they listen to you? Do you feel like like you're heard? Do they make recommendations based on research that's been done? Because I think that's what we have to guide what we're doing. And so
1: what we're doing should most of the time be research-based. And I think oftentimes that means... You may not get what you want. I think a good doctor doesn't give you what you want always. So they aren't going to give antibiotics when it's not appropriate um, because they're trying to look out for public health and antibiotic resistance in it. So I think it's, we have a different perspective on that
0: too. Yeah, I think a good doctor is probably going to push you a little bit. So if you're somebody who maybe doesn't get the influenza vaccine, and I as a physician realize how important that is not only for you as an individual, but for population health, I'm going to have a conversation with you about that and the importance of that. Similarly, I would say, you know, a surgeon who says, you know what, I don't think I can really... Give you benefit by doing surgery for whatever symptom you're having. I I respect that right. greatly because as a surgeon, they tend to want to fix things right. and repair things. And if they feel that they're not going to be able to make things better than they are right now, and can tell you that, I think I, I have a lot of respect, respect for that. Exactly, yeah,
1: I do too. So, but I think as a on the patient side, the biggest thing would be: Do I feel listened to? Do I feel like I've been heard? And I think sometimes anybody can have a bad day um a doctor can have a bad day they can be very behind or busy or you don't know what's happened in their their family life too so I don't I don't think you one and done things if one time you feel like you weren't hurt I don't I think you can give them another chance but if if it seems to be a a common theme and happening over and over again then I think you you find somebody else that you feel is hearing you yeah, I would agree with that. I think word of mouth is a huge way, right? Um, although you hear when people talk about specialists, and you maybe sent them to some people love people and some people really don't. So it's always whatever happened in your interaction. Um, we can have bad ones, or we all have different opinions on what what makes a good interaction versus a bad interaction. So I think you know there's different people who do better with different personalities. And so you have to find that. So even if you listen to what your friends say, it doesn't mean that's going to be a good match for you either. So
0: Yeah, and uh, I would say in primary care, it's especially true to find somebody who you do feel like you can trust and you can, um, who listens to you. Because if you don't feel that way, you're less likely to bring up concerns or issues. And, of course, that's not going to be beneficial for your health. So finding somebody who you feel you can work with without... Um, you know, necessarily doctor hopping from one to another to another, but maybe seeing somebody a few times. And if if it's really not a good fit, then it's okay to move to somebody else. Right. Next question. So is WebMD really as bad as everyone says it is?
1: (laughs) And that one's hard. I mean, I think Googling your symptoms just out there is probably really bad and not advisable. Um, But there's probably some legitimate sites that you could go to for questions. And probably the few that I can think of that are probably reputable would be uh, Mayo Clinic site or. um, Yeah, I think Mayo Clinic,
0: I think the Cleveland Clinic has some online resources. Mayo has has them just just organized so nicely that it's really easy to look things up. Um, I don't think WebMD is too bad, like you said, Lindsay. I think Googling symptoms is not particularly helpful and probably more scary than anything. Right. Um, So finding a good resource. And again, probably the best thing is if you have new symptoms, see your clinician first, and then if you want to do some research after you've talked with them about kind of their recommendations or what they feel is going on, you could sure do that Mm -hmm. and see if you feel like that's consistent with what's going on. So this person writes in and says, I don't think people necessarily know how to check check themselves for cancer. Um, so wondering specifically about testicular cancer and breast cancers and what a self exam should look like.
1: I think the, the biggest thing on that is to have been familiar with your body. It is your body that you have forever. <laughs> so you should know it and what it feels like, um, especially in the breasts or the testicular areas. Um, so that you know when something feels different than that, right? I think breasts are hard because, um, especially when we're younger and we're uh, going through cycles and we have, uh, you know, maybe more caffeine in our diet, then our breasts can go through times when they have more fibrous tissue. So I think, you know, whenever we have... um, you know, the races for breast cancer awareness, they generally have tables that you can feel a breast that has a, a a lump in it that would be concerning. And so that generally feels more like a BB. So a very hard, um, and it's stuck in place. It doesn't move around. So something that's more soft and you can roll around in there is probably not something of concern. Um, you have- yeah, I would say, um, I agree with that. So
0: Breast exam were not great. Even physicians are not great at detecting cancer, distinguishing between cancer and something more benign. But certainly if you find a firm lump or mass that doesn't move and feels, again, hard like a BB, um, that would be more worrisome or even if it's just um, more irregular the smoother kind of rollier tissue, it can be pretty normal.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, certainly getting your mammograms is the most important thing. But then again, like you said, Lindsay, just knowing what is normal for for an individual.
1: And like for women, it changes throughout the cycle. So when your breasts are more tender in your cycle, you're likely to have more fibrous tissue that you feel. And so I'd, you know, wouldn't be too concerned. I'd wait then till you got past that point and, and maybe feel again. And those things should be less obvious. Yeah, I guess. Um, But I think the the important thing there is to just know what you feel like. And so that you know, when there's something different than that.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, the testicular exam is similar kind of in terms of what we're looking for. So a firm lump or nodule, especially one that doesn't move would be more worrisome than something that's a little softer and squishier and can kind Mm -hmm. of push it around a little bit. Um, you know, on the back of the scrotum is the epididymis and that kind of feels like different. we call it a bag of worms. It, it's funny, uh, squiggly feeling back there. That's normal. Right. But again, you need to know what it normal is like for yeah. you so that you know if there's a change. Right. And it's not uncommon to get little fluid filled cysts or other things wow. in the testes or in the scrotum that, um you know might be different it's fine to get those checked out and have an ultrasound if there is something there but again we get more worried about the
1: firm hard lumps yeah Yeah. great question right so this one i don't know how we're going to answer this one but um are there seemingly innocuous things that we should no mean see a doctor? Yes. Yeah, so to make
0: everybody out there feel like a hypochondriac, what symptoms are worrisome that no matter what, you probably need to go in and get checked out? I mean, I would start with, again, unexpected weight loss that you can't explain or right. a dramatic change in your appetite where as soon as you start eating, you're feeling full or... Um, you know, massive abdominal bloating; those would be things that yes, you need to go in right away. And again, I'm just, that's just the GI system, so. right?
1: Well, yeah, there's just so many places you, we could go with this. But um, if you always have, and we we'll, we're gonna do hopefully a colon cancer next month is colon cancer awareness month, so hopefully we'll do something on this. But certainly, if you all of a sudden have a change in the shape of your stools, um, that would be, or blood in your mm-hmm. stool. Um, those will be times to go. Yeah.
0: And certainly things that are an abrupt change that then stay, you know, if it's a change in the shape of your stool here and there, but it goes back to normal, less worrisome Mm -hmm. than if it changes and then it stays that way every time thereafter. You know, certainly neurologic things like we've right. talked about before where if you get an abrupt numbness or an abrupt weakness somewhere that is a see a doctor right away or mm-hmm. go to the ER. Similarly, chest pain is something right. that needs to be evaluated immediately. I think most people hear more about those than some of the other symptoms. Right. You know, blood in the urine is another thing we could talk about. I mean, that happens. It's not always scary, but it pro- it should always be checked out. Yeah. Um, Unless you're a menstruating female, you know, I think otherwise it can be a concerning finding. I'm sure there are others.
1: It's hard to, hard to. Right. I would say there's times that maybe scare people more and probably aren't times that you necessarily need to go. And, And I would say. Sometimes we have mucus in our stool. Sure. And that doesn't mean anything horrible is happening. Yep. Actually, it's more common in people with irritable bowel to just have some mucus in the stool periodically. So, yeah. So I think there's a time when a lot of people are alarmed and come to see us, and it's certainly um, nothing dangerous to them. You know, loose stool diarrhea, certainly um, you can have an acute viral illness that makes you feel pretty crummy. And as long as you're keeping down fluids and staying hydrated, you're okay. But there's also this, you know, chronic loose stools. And as long as you're not losing weight, it can be not fun and you should see your doctor, but it's not necessarily, you have to get in there right away. You know, you could do food logs. Maybe I'm going in too deep to this because (laughs) we're going to do another episode, hopefully
0: on this. No, but that's that's a good one, too. I think that one comes up a lot, our kind of chronic loose stools. And um, like Lindsay said, I think, yeah, you, you do get in to see a doctor, but if there aren't worrisome symptoms like blood in the stool or weight loss or
1: appetite changes, then it's probably less urgent. And we're going to have you do like food stool logs mm-hmm. to try to associate it with something that you're eating, looking at your medications, all those kinds of things. So I think you should be seen, but it's not necessarily don't worry that it's something dangerous. We'll work together to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Pain and pain's a hard one. I mean, it abdominal is. pain yeah. is a hard one too. Um, when to go to the doctor. I, I mean, I think abdominal just pain gotta,
0: probably needs to be checked go. out if it's, you know, lasting and not associated with an illness or something right. like that. It probably does need mm-hmm. to be checked out. Back pain, as we've talked about on other episodes, usually is going to be self-limited and improve. Um, and again, there are more red flag symptoms that can help guide you as to when you should go in.
1: And certainly other injuries. I mean, unless there was a huge trauma that you think there could be something broken, even if pain isn't that severe. I mean, if you had a big trauma, I'd go get checked out just to make sure Um But if you sprained your ankle, you know, I'd give it rest, ice, elevation, and time. Um, Depending on what you have to, you know, do, do you need to go be seen to get a splint? You know, I mean. Yeah. I guess. I I, think you can never fault. No. no. Nobody would ever fault you for going to see your provider. Yeah, that's true. That's
0: true. I would, I would add too, if you're um, having bleeding, like you're brushing your teeth and your gums are oozing or bruising all over. Those would be times when you need to get checked out too. And we all bruise. So some people, sometimes I do have people who will come in with a bruise here and there and everybody bruises. As we get older, we do bruise more. more. Yep. But if you are really, you know, just seeing a change there, noticing just diffuse bruising, or like I said, oozing somewhere that needs to be checked out.
1: Weakness of any type loss of bowel or bladder control would be a time fortunately you know and so that everybody beyond just leaking here right, right right so that everybody doesn't have to not sleep tonight <laughs> worrying
0: about these symptoms the vast majority of people do live you know into their 70s and 80s and do very well and so um you know i don't I, we don't want you to to lie right. awake at night worrying about these things because yeah we're all going to end up with some health conditions throughout our lifetime but um, most of them can be addressed, and you right. just need to know when to go in and when to see your doc. Should we move on? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that one could get us stuck for a while.
0: All right, I kind of like this next one. So what are some things patients should do to make a doctor's visit easier? And I think i have I have kind of two things I think that are really important. I think number one, and hopefully your clinician gives you a chance to do this, say upfront what you're really hoping to accomplish at the visit. So, what are your goals or what condition do you want to make sure gets addressed that day? Um, I think that's that's number one. Put it out there right at the beginning of the visit. Right. And the other thing that's important to talk about is let your doctor know what's important in terms of your goals of care, what matters in terms of your life. Because if you, um, you know, sometimes... We're, we're trying to make people live longer and that's not necessarily their goal. They want right. to, you know, live better for a shorter time. We need to be
1: aware of that as soon as we can so that we make those adjustments. I think we always go in, you know, we're given usually a little so-and-so is coming in and the, it'll say on our computer um, for the next patient, arm pain or abdominal pain or follow-up chronic disease, right? So we're going in with, an agenda or an idea of what you're here for. So if you don't tell us maybe that something's different. So if you're there for your kind of annual review, but you have a concern, you need to bring that up at the beginning so that we don't make it to at the end and then have that. I mean, we can always bring you back for an annual exam if you're there because you've been concerned about something, but have been waiting because your annual exam was coming up, then tell us that right away. Yeah. I think, um,
0: it's really important to, to let us know what your concerns or goals are in a visit. But that list should probably be three or fewer items, because if it's 10, we're just not going to be able to do a good job addressing them. And so keeping it, I mean, we want to address all of your concerns. So if you really have more than three or four items that need to be addressed, um, then plan on having a second visit to cover the other things, just because it's not possible to do a good job. Um, addressing 10 concerns right. in a 20 or 30 minute appointment. So be aware, be organized, and and um, work with your doc to set an agenda right away at the beginning of the visit. Yep,
1: I always try to say, you know, it looks like you're here for X. Do you have any other concerns? So I try to open that up for the people, but hopefully your provider's doing that, and if not, then you got to you gotta jump on it and just say. Yeah, and I feel like I, I
0: definitely try to do that. I feel like even you know, sometimes you maybe have a small or what you think is a smaller problem and so you think, Oh, I'll just mention that at the end. That doesn't right. do either you or us any favors because we really need to know upfront what's on your mind, what's bothering you, so that we can um, we can distribute time appropriately right. in the visit to address
1: the the concerns. Right. What are the worst home remedies that either don't work or are actively
0: harmful? I didn't have too many on my list here, but the one that came right to my mind was essential oils when they're misused. Right. Um, I know they're, they're popular and they can certainly be beneficial for some things, but you do have to be careful because if you put them in places where they shouldn't go, they can cause chemical burns, they can cause irritation, um, and they can interact with medications if you're taking them systemically. So the the trouble is we don't have a lot of research on them to know exactly what those interactions are going to be um and so i think you have to be careful and i would say supplements in general are that way
1: i agree and it it's not that um physicians your your doctor doesn't want to be natural with their treatment but we want to be sure that we know what we're doing is safe and appropriate and so that's why often you know the traditional physician holds out um, on recommending lots of so-called natural things over what is tried and true and studied and we know in a something that we give right. And I think of things like saw palmetto for mm-hmm. um, prostate, prostate health, health, yeah. health and. You know, I'm gonna say there's an, I don't think, think there's not a whole lot of good data out there to support it, and there's lots of interactions with other medications you may be taking. So, so it's not that we we don't like natural things. I certainly choose natural over aggressive medication, especially as a geriatrician. Mm-hmm. Um, but but natural doesn't mean safe, right? Right. right. So I think that's.
0: Right. So the blood thinner warfarin, is it comes from a plant. Right. It's also used in poison for rats. And so you have to just know that just because it's natural, it's from a plant, doesn't make it safe. We can't take it in unregulated amounts because we can end up bleeding to death. So it's a great medication for what we need to use it for and when it's carefully monitored. But um, it, you have to be careful. And I think that's true of many
1: natural things. I think, um, of late, we're getting some good data that apple cider vinegar helps with um, heartburn. And so if you want to do that kind of home remedy that that's probably okay. I think we're even getting, Um, You know, there's some recent positive studies for peppermint oil in irritable bowel. So we're getting some of these good data to support some things that are out there. And so we we just want to prove that things are safe before we're recommending them.
0: So some of those dietary supplements that or dietary programs... um where you're stirring a powder into your beverage or whatever, when when those are not, they're not closely regulated, you don't right. always know what, what you're, you're getting, getting and what you're putting into your body. And some of those have caused liver failure or kidney failure that have led to death in some people. So um, I don't know if there are any of those available in the U.S. right now, but I know on a worldwide scale, there have been um dietary supplements that are supposed to help with weight management that have caused death right so you just have to be careful with what you're using
1: and i think that's the same for like cbd oils and things like that i mean there was a study done that looked at what was in there what was actually in each brand's CBD oil. And some actually had the THC component. So the component is not supposed to have Which in is marijuana, marijuana, right? Yeah. That makes people high. And some didn't even have the CBD oil in it, right? So it's just not a regulated feel. You know, supplements aren't regulated. And so you never really do know what you're getting. Yeah. So I think I, I would say that's probably the most
0: challenging home remedy that... Um, people tend to go to our supplements and we see right. them a lot. And then um, you know, people are getting advice from Dr. Oz and there are other various physicians or doctors of some sort in both locally and nationally who make claims that you know certain supplements are going to have certain benefits. And I think it's easy to believe people, but unfortunately, when we look at what is available in terms of research and what's been proven to be safe, there just isn't a lot out there yet. And right. as this evolves, like Lindsay said, with peppermint oil and with the, yeah, yeah. with apple cider sure. vinegar, we will certainly try to stay on top of that and let people know. But in general, there's not, not enough research yet in that area.
1: You always have to be leery because at a point when somebody's getting paid for touting something... There can always be, I guess, we may be fudging the truth or maybe making claims that aren't necessarily vetted. Um, And so, you know, money makes people do lots of crazy things and it holds true for all fields, right? Um, So if somebody's name is on a brand, they're getting paid for that. And so I think you have to always be a little bit skeptical absolutely ask questions do some homework
0: all right well that was um probably a (laughs) long answer but it is a tough question yeah the next one's going to be a little bit shorter i think so with an injury at home what's what do you use ice versus heat and i'm assuming that's for an injury i guess we could say for pain too the the question is ice versus heat
1: um you want to take that, Lindsay? Sure, I can start. I think always something acute, you want to do ice first to um, decrease the the swelling and inflammation. Um, I think oftentimes if it's... You know, you strained your back or something, you know, ice is good at the start, but then sometimes ice makes muscles spasm. And so then heat is good. So often we we do recommend alternating between ice and heat. And we always say to end with the ice. Um, I think it's what feels good. Mm -hmm. But know that if you're doing heat, it's going to make things more swollen, Mm -hmm. which often leads to pain. But heat is sometimes good because it's bringing all the, properties is bringing the blood supply there with all the things to heal so that's good but then the ice is good because it takes away the swelling so it's a hard one and I I always say what feels better to you
0: yeah I agree completely I would say you know in the first 24 hours ice especially if it's an injury ice is going to be beneficial right after that probably more heat but again there are reasons where you might use ice instead and um, I don't think there are any hard and fast rules on that This is a tough one, too. (laughs) Yeah. When you're exercising, how can you identify bad pain? All right. This is a tough one. So I'm going to start (laughs) by saying, well, if you're having chest pain, you better stop. Right. Okay. Or chest pressure, elephant sitting on your chest, hard time breathing. Those are signs that you need to stop. And also, I want to say, I'm glad you're exercising. Right. Um. Yeah, other pain. So if you're talking like joint pain or things like that, I would say if it doesn't, you know, if you're jogging, for example, and you don't feel like your leg is going to support you or your knee is going to give out on you, then it's probably time to stop and get it checked out. Right.
1: Or if it gets worse with the activity um, and not better, because often, you know, you can work it out and things get better. Well, that's great. If it continues to get worse and worse and worse, and then when you're done, it's horrible. I think that's a sign that you need to lay off whatever you're doing and figure out what's going on. I I find exercise right now a little frustrating to me because I feel a lot more pain afterwards than I did when I was younger. It's like pain from sore muscles and stiffness in my joints. So I, I don't know how to describe it. I know it's because of what I did, but it's not saying I can't do it the next day, and I think... It, Maybe that's because the next day when I do something probably a little bit different or less, it feels better in the end and not worse is what probably makes it okay and not bad pain. Yeah, I think, I think, right. So tight
0: sore muscles can be normal after exercise. If you are consistently having the same tight sore muscles every day after you exercise, then probably stopping or changing your routine would be a good idea Um, you know i have seen it on not frequently but occasionally people who do a very high intensity exercise on a regular basis have elevated enzymes that indicate their muscles are breaking down and so you have to kind of find that balance i think it's great to work out i think if you're having intense persistent pain then you need to have another rest day or maybe do some pilates or yoga Instead in of one of those high intensity workouts.
1: So recovery is important. I think you can't stress stretching before ice. and after exercise. Yep. Ice or ice baths, rolling those tight muscles,
0: mm-hmm. all of those things can help. Um, listening to your body, I think, as you're going.
1: Yep. Yeah. So, but always, if you're doing something that builds muscle, right? If you did, you know, 20 squats and you haven't done any, you're gonna have some leg pain the next day and that's not abnormal yeah you would probably that day then want to just to walk yeah walk or do a more whatever recovery is for you that day so that the next day you can can start up and start again absolutely i say right now uh i've always been a runner jogger and if i do a 20 minute pretty intense run i probably have to do 15 minutes of stretching so that the next day i can walk yeah. Which isn't how it was when I was, you know, a teenager or 20 year old.
0: Right. You do have to understand that the body changes as we age and, um, we have to be adapting to that too. So you maybe can't exercise the same way you did five years ago or 10 years ago. And, um, definitely not the same way you did 20 years ago.
1: Right. So, yeah. So it looks different, but it doesn't mean it's not exercise. I think we often forget that athletes who are doing this day in and day out, they have trainers who are massaging them, rubbing them. They have PTs who are working on them. So mm-hmm. the only reason they can do it day in and day out is because they have a team of people who are helping them do that. Yeah, I think that's a Massages, good Massages, yep. ice baths, all these yep. things that, you know, the recreational exerciser probably doesn't we have do time to things. do and exactly. we don't do. Um, but we certainly should do stretching Mm -hmm. to help keep things
0: moving. Absolutely. Well, I think we can kind of slide right into the next question with this. So it's, it's, what's the most underrated prophylactic slash preventative care thing you can do? And for me, there's a one word answer here. It's exercise. exercise. So I think that's pretty easy. The hardest part about exercise is that it takes time and commitment but the best thing is, I mean, it pretty much impacts every system in a positive way. Right. If there were a miracle pill, if you could bottle up one thing and give it to people as a pill to take, exercise right. would be the miracle drug. Mm-hmm. Truly, it's good for um, the brain, good for obviously the heart and lungs, and good for maintaining a healthy weight, good for digestion. There are just so many benefits to exercise, Um and it, it's and movement. Movement, yeah. It just, it's hard because of the time required and the commitment to take that first step and either start the treadmill or get those
1: running shoes on or whatever your workout is. And the studies sh- say that the people who get the most benefit are the people who start and never have done it before.
0: Yeah. So if you are more sedentary now, starting exercise, and of course you would want to start gradually, but right. that would be more beneficial to you than the athletes we were just talking
1: about. Right. Mm -hmm. And the other thing we're getting more and more information on is how important it is to exercise, even when you're acutely ill in the hospital. Um, They've started using these pedal machines in ICU beds, and it's proven to uh, improve um, people's recovery time from very acute, very serious illness. I hadn't heard that yet. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So for... I think it's it,
0: easy to answer that one and just say exercise is the most important thing you can do, followed by diet, right. healthy diet. And we kind of touched on that a little bit. But check back to our episode on diet if you really want some more tips and tricks for diet. And we have that menu and um, a few other things on our website. So if, you, if you're if you looking for more diet information, we'll have to get another diet one in here before right. too long, too. But yeah. And I think the key to that is
1: moderation. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Okay, so another question we got was for someone with a flexible schedule, when should they try to make appointments? Yeah, so that's a
0: good question. I would say, again, kind of depends on what works for you. If you want your clinician to be on time, probably first thing in the morning. Or right after lunch. Or right after lunch are good times. If you want them to have more time, I say I often spend more time with my patient right before lunch or the last one of the day because I know that I'm not taking up somebody else's time at that time. So it kind of depends on, you know, if you want, if you're looking for somebody to be ready to go on time, then yeah, first thing in the day or right after lunch um, if you're looking for maybe just a little more time being spent on something, then actually right before lunch, maybe it depends on the clinician or at the end of the day. And again, depends on the clinician, but right, that would be my that recommendation. Probably,
1: that probably holds true to me. I think for people who don't have a flexible schedule, that a lot of clinics are trying to do things to accommodate that. So I know we have several um, people who are willing to do late Come in they're coming in extra early for those people who want to get in before work, and they're staying extra late after normal business hours. So, I think a lot of places are trying to accommodate that. Certainly, we have you know the video visits now for kind of some acute things for for those um, families that are that are trying to fit things in their busy schedule. So, I think we're trying to come up with ways to to work with that too on our side. Yeah, but then not everybody can do that, right? So, yep. depending on. Um, yeah, that's a, another thing to look for in a in a physician or provider, I guess that matches you. I was gonna say hopefully there's no bad time of day to see right. a clinician,
0: but um, it might depend on what you're looking for. and I, I right. do try to spend time with all of my patients right. without in, infringing on the time right. of the others too much, but it's a it's a good question.
1: Yeah, certainly, the first in the morning and the first in the afternoon are the ones that I'm less likely to be late to. <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: All right, next question was, why do I need an annual physical? And we talk about this a little bit in our, I think it was our first episode, kind of on what to expect at an exam, what we do at an exam. You know, it's changed a little bit. We don't necessarily do a head-to-toe physical exam, and it depends on the clinician and the patient and what they are looking for. It's important to have a yearly visit, I think, especially if you're on medications, um, so that those can all be evaluated I don't necessarily think research doesn't support doing a head to toe exam if you're not having symptoms. Right. Um, but that being said, it, there's definitely patient preference that plays a role here, too.
1: And I think, yeah, for us, we see kind of the older adults more often. And so then we're managing chronic diseases. And so then it's not really an annual exam, it's a management of chronic disease. And usually, You know, one time a year I try to call it more annual so that I know that that's the time I should also talk about refilling their medications for the year so we get that done and making sure their vaccines are up to date and other health maintenance things. So I think we certainly got to think about those things, but the actual true coming in one time, if you're a really healthy person, not on any medications, as long as you're getting your annual mammogram, your pap smears when they're due... um, and you're keeping up on your health maintenance in that way, coming in has been shown not to add a whole lot. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And,
1: you know, I, we have kind of patients on
0: all ends of the spectrum. Some want to be seen as little as possible. Others want to be seen as much as possible. And I would just say there is a balance point Um, being seen, you know, getting more healthcare is not necessarily better for you. Um, the more exposure you have to healthcare, care, the more there is for potential errors, errors and adverse effects. And so more does not always equal better either. And I think we need to be really honest about that and say, right. you know, I think, yeah, you should be seen when you need to be seen. But more seeking out care just for the sake of having people check you over isn't necessarily better. With
1: that said, that if you're you're young and, and healthy, that you don't need to be seen you know, high blood pressure is a silent thing that you here and there need to have your blood pressure checked to make sure. And and I know a lot of dentist offices are doing that too, so maybe that can be a place that we're screening some of that. But I yeah, I agree. Don't I go think... years
0: and years without yep. seeing somebody. Some of those things may creep up without really having symptoms, and so right. it is good to get checked out. Um, You know, again, pre-diabetes, high blood pressure, cholesterol problems, all Mm -hmm. of those things you're not necessarily going to have symptoms for right away. And so um, having somebody monitor for those is a good idea.
1: Right. So I think that pretty much wraps up a lot of the questions we've gotten over the last year. Yeah, thank you for our
0: great questions. These are um, fun to read and fun to answer. And please keep them coming. We'll definitely plan another episode like this sometime. So keep the questions rolling in. Right, uh, we'll we'll keep note of the ones that we get in the office regularly too. Exactly. Yep. Well, thanks so much for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe on the app that you're listening to. It lets us know how many listeners we have and how many people we're reaching. The other thing you can do to help us is to write a review, and this helps us again know what we're doing well and helps other people
1: find us. Yeah. Please follow us on Twitter at everything doc one and on Facebook. And you can email us, our, our email is mail at
0: everythingdoc.com and our website is www.everythingdoc.com. Have a great day. Thanks so much for listening.